Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hey everybody, welcome to Sex and Relationship Healing. I have brought a special guest to you today. It's someone that I've really enjoyed working with over the past couple of months because she's shown a great affinity for pro-dependence and the concepts behind it. In fact, this is somebody who called me up and said, I want to be involved with this. I just think this is amazing. And so how could I turn that down? Folks, this is a colleague by the name of Kim Buck. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Rob. Glad to be here. Let me tell you a little bit of background on Kim. Kim has over 15 years of experience clinically as a therapist in mental health. She's integrative and holistic. She works in in multiple modalities, really tailored to individual client needs. She's a certified sex addiction therapist. She's an approved supervisor for the Arizona Board of Behavioral Health Examiners. And she's a clinical director at Family Strategies Counseling Center. Are you in the Phoenix area? Is that right, Kim? Yes, we're in Mesa, a suburb of Phoenix. Okay, cool. Well, it all sort of one big city to me somehow out there, but uh, except maybe Tucson, that's a little further away. But anyway, um, Kim, thank you for being with us. I really appreciate your heart and your spirit and how excited you've been around this project. It's excited me a lot. Well, thank you. I'm really excited as well. When I heard the concept of prodependence and heard you speak about it first and then started to read and study about it, I just, the more I read, the more excited I got and really wanted to introduce this idea to the clientele that I serve and put it out there. Kim is what you'd call, I think, an early adopter, right? I mean, in the sense that Kim heard about this concept and not only did she like call me and say, I wanted something to do with it, but she actually started introducing it into her clinic. Anyway, I don't want to, I don't want to jump on your story, but I was so impressed by, I mean, clearly this motivated you so much that you wanted to move and you wanted to move quickly and you got something out of it. And so I can't help but ask you, like, what what struck you about the concept of prodependence, especially with codependency being so deeply entrenched in our work? How did were you able to see beyond that, or why? Well, I want to say up front, codependency. I, I've been in my own recovery for a long time since the eighties, and codependency and the concepts around codependency helped me heal, and I'm grateful for them. However, there were things about codependency that I didn't find helpful. Sometimes just the idea. The concept that I, you know, that people were sick to who were in relationship to those partners, family members. Yes, who, to those who were struggling. And I found that hurtful um, personally, but also 
you know, when I was working with clients and trying to help them heal who are in those situations. So you went into, you, you were in a process of recovery and healing and you were looking at how partners are being addressed and thought of and spoken to in codependency and it was helpful to you, but something didn't feel right about it. Right. It, it was very shaming towards the partner, the family member. I, I feel like it's already difficult. You've experienced this crisis of some sort in your life and then you go in for treatment and maybe your treatment provider tells you, well, it's because you're a part of the problem. And that may or may not be true, but I feel like when it's kind of, I always say it's kind of like you've been hit by a truck and you walk in and they hit you again. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. I just, I just need help understanding what's happened in my life. So let me make sense of this. I want to put it in, in perspective for the work that we do. I think what you're saying is that it's not that partners don't have their own issues and certainly their own issues can come up when they're living with an active addict who's in crisis, but but to confront them or present them as being part of the problem and their own issues contributing to the addiction in the very beginning felt insulting to you. Absolutely. You went along with it anyway, which I think a lot of people do like, well, if this is what it takes to get well, if this is what it takes to help my family or to help other people help their families, then this is what I'll accept and I'll grow from it as I can but that doesn't mean it was right a perfect fit, if you will. Right. You just kind of adapted it to meet your needs the best you could. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful for that. But when pro-dependence, when I heard kind of the theory and the ideas around pro-dependence, it addressed those issues for me. It made it more of a crisis, more of a, you know, how, of course, you're going to try and help your loved one. We don't have to automatically make that wrong. Right. And make that a disease and make that a problem. Because most, most people are, are, they're just trying to help somebody they love. They're trying to figure out their life and what to do. Well, one of the big challenges for me with codependency is this, what you're talking about, the implication that I'm part of the problem, I'm contributing to the problem, I have my own problems as a partner. It also, it does two things. I think it takes the addicts a little bit off the hook. And I've seen this a lot. I think addicts actually love codependency. I really do. Because as an addict, I can tell you, if I can just come back to with my partner, you're nagging me too much, you're doing that codependent thing, you're driving me crazy, then I can sort of push away some of my bad behavior again. And I can say, here you are again. And for the person who really buys into that, I can say, you know, you're so codependent, I'm just going to freaking drink again. And there is nothing in the world, ladies and gentlemen, if you are married to or involved with or love an addict, there is nothing in the world you can ever do to make that person drink, use, or act out. You can leave them, you can hate them, you can argue with them, you can nag them, you can stop having sex with them, you can threaten them, you can do whatever, and they can do whatever they want with that. Their choice to drink, use, sex, gamble, whatever is their choice. Your behavior has nothing to do with the choices they make. And the implication in codependency is you're a part of their drinking, you're contributing to the problem and, and that must be horrifying for partners who all they're trying to do is stop the drinking or stop the gambling, or it's like you're telling them everything they've done is wrong. Exactly. You know, and oftentimes they'll, I think the partner or the loved one will think I can, it might give them a false sense of power over that addiction as well. Like maybe if I'm sick too, and I do this or that, somehow that's going to help or fix. And it, it can oftentimes just make your life spin further out of control. So you heard this on a personal level when you read the book or you looked at the material, but, but you're kind of a, a leader. Uh, you're kind of a leader. You're a leader, Kim. You run treatment programs for hundreds of people. So you're not just a therapist who sees people one at a time. You run 
an organization that treats and sees a, a, what a hundred people a week more? Oh, at least yes. What? How did you start to look at your people in relationship to codependence? Well, I think the first step was, I mean, our program that we run uh, right now is for sexual addiction recovery and and recovery for their partners. Mm-hmm. Well, you're in the right podcast then. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. But I, um, what I recognized is I couldn't go back to work after hearing that and continue to teach codependency. What? You got that far <laughs> out there that you thought, I can't even do this anymore? And I'm serious. That's serious. That's like saying I'm teaching biology and all of a sudden I don't believe in biology. I have to teach another subject or something. Well, and it sounds abrupt and I don't mean to be dramatic, but I felt like the words couldn't come out of my mouth. Words like enabling and you're sick too and you love too much and you know those kind of things. I just couldn't I, I couldn't formulate some of the words. They just, it, it, it's like I was given the medi- it's like I was given the right medication to fix the right, to fix the problem. And I couldn't keep taking something that didn't work. So tell me what you did with that. So it almost happened instantaneously, but I just started rewriting some of our curriculum for the partners to start. And so I started writing curriculum and within three months we had implemented that curriculum and it is, we're in the works right now. We now have three active groups. Prodependence Partners Groups for Addicts. Yes, um, for partners of sex addicts. Mm-hmm. And so far, our first group is, we're, we're in it about 18 weeks, and it's going very well. So the program's long. They're, they're there for a while, which is a good thing, right? To get the support, to get the nurturing, to get the help, to, to learn how to live with an addict and survive that experience. Right. And typically our partners are coming in with a lot of trauma, you know, a lot of trauma, a lot of questions. They're just trying to manage the the crisis, the craziness that they're like. Well, every partner of an addict is in crisis for sure. Right. And so when they come in, yeah, there's all those things they need, all the support they need, you know, just to learn how to set boundaries, learn how to take care of themselves, learn how to sort through the mess and hope all the way. Absolutely. So, um, folks, I just really, you know, I, I, I realize I'm bringing Kim here for a reason, and that's because, number one, I just want to say she's going to write this workbook for prodependence because Kim Buck came to me and said, I run a treatment center, and I'm implementing this with my clients, and I've already written 100 pages of curriculum, and I wonder if that's okay with you. And I said, like, okay with me. Like, let's work together and see what's working, what isn't working in your curriculum to try to write a broader workbook for so therapists can begin to understand how to use this model. Absolutely, which I'm so I'm thrilled about, and I am so excited that other therapists can start making that feel the same way I do. Maybe can start making these changes in their practices and with their with their clients, and that people could even just see a hope about healing from a different perspective. Is that I mean, what so what is happening with your clients? I mean, I, I would imagine across the board, some of them have been exposed to codependency and worked in that model before. Some of them have never gotten any help before in their lives. What what's uh, how does it, how is it going? I would say about half of our clients have had some sort of recovery um, before this, and I would say about half haven't. But the outcomes have been they are progressing and stabilizing. I think much sooner than past groups um, that we have ran. I don't have all that data exactly yet, but we just see a lot more stabilization, a lot more grounding. I mean, why do you, I mean, I appreciate the validation. It's just an idea in my head that you're carrying out, but, and I think I know some of the answers, but I want to hear from you. Why do you think the clients who are 
the the partners, and we're talking about groups of 20 or so at a time who are learning and practicing and um, being supported through pro-dependent model, why are they doing better than the ones who for years and years and years were being brought through the same kind of programming with a codependent focus? My perspective is that they are not having to fight the therapist and having to fight a, a label and a diagnosis right when they walk through our door. So our, our goal is to just help them walk through their pain and help sort through kind of that mess and figure out what they need to move forward. And I just think they aren't fighting us. They aren't fighting the therapy, so to speak. Well, there's a part in Prodependence, I think, where I, I wrote about how us therapists for years have said, and I hear this all the time from very loving, very wonderful therapists who I really like, who I think are very kind and good people, but they turn to me in a treatment team meeting about this partner or that partner, you know, Mrs. So-and-so, and they just say, oh my God, she just won't own her stuff. She just won't take responsibility. She's driving me crazy. These partners, they're so difficult. And it has really struck me for partners of addicts. And it's really struck me for years that I don't, I never think any particular treatment population is difficult. I think that if they are difficult universally, then we need to find universal solutions to make our introduction to them and our relationship with them and our help for them more attractive so that because clients aren't difficult, clients struggle to understand what we're giving them. And if it is easy for them to take in and comfortable for to take in and it reflects their experience, they're not going to be difficult at all. Right. And we're not focused on uh, fixing them. That's not our focus. We're focused on we're focused on validating, being there, showing up and giving them the necessary tools so they can work through it. One of the things that I talk about in prodependence, and I, I really want people to understand this, and this is hard for a lot of therapists, like therapists really jump when I say this, is that, you know, not every client comes to us for self-development. Not every client wants to know nor chooses to look deeply into their past, learn how that affects them in the present, want to review every his piece of their history. They might, but most clients come to us in a crisis and they've got six sessions on insurance. And so you know, or they're paying precious dollars to come see us. And the faster we can engage them and help them to feel comfortable with us, it seems like the better we're going to do in, in helping them grow. And unfortunately, what codependence did is, as Kim, you're saying, is it, it's an idea that meant that if I walk in and my wife has cancer, you're just going to support me. But if I walk in and my wife is a addict, you're going to tell me what's wrong with me. And that's just so hard to swallow for someone who's been running around with someone who's cheating on them or, or drinking themselves to death or whatever it is. But partners will accept that if it means that they can hold their family together and they will grow in some ways if they work on themselves and stick in there. It just doesn't mean that it's the fastest, easiest way to help them. If they need that additional, if they would like or need that additional work, it will come organically. Over time. Right. You don't, you, you don't have to shove it down someone's throat. They know if they have maybe history that makes it more difficult to be in the situation they're in. But I just don't, I think in those early stages of treatment, that's not the time. And that's what I love about the pro-dependence model is that it addresses that. That's not the time. Let's organically let that happen. I found um, in the codependent model, they were constantly trying to prove to us that they weren't crazy. Oh, or that it wasn't their fault. It wasn't their fault. I'm not crazy. Even though I cried all night, please don't put me on, don't tell me to do this or that. Just, just tell me I'm normal. Tell me that it's normal to be sad when somebody betrays you and breaks your heart. It's normal to try to do everything you can to heal and help somebody you love if they're the closest person to you. 
Right. That would be a normal response to somebody who's losing that connection. Yes. So, and then all the craziness we see in spouses is often six months, a year in, and they're living, they realize what they're living with and they can't do anything about it. It's making them crazy. They're trying to fix it. And they come to us and they look really crazy. But therapists, if you're out there, just because you see a potential issue that someone has, it doesn't mean you have to bring it up. (laughs) In fact, sometimes I would say uh, it is abusive to bring up the idea that there's something wrong with someone when they are in a crisis. And most partners who walk in with an active addict simply need to be told what a great job they did for simply hanging in there. Right. And so we start talking to them about, so I wonder if there's a different way that you could love and support that would be more helpful to you or more beneficial to you. And that idea, just that introducing the idea that way naturally helps them start thinking. So not that there's something wrong with you for having come up with a way that you were helping, correct? which may be nagging or breaking dishes or bringing home bottles or, you know, whatever it is, but rather um, let's look at some more practical solutions that might be more effective. Correct. Right. And that speaks to their heart. That speaks to their, speaks to where they are. Well, it also speaks to our role, which is how can I help you make this situation better? because you've done as best you can on your own, but you can't fix this on your own. No one taught anyone how to help an alcoholic when we were in high school gym class. So, you know, you've probably done the best you can on your own, but now you need help making it better. Right. And they're starting to communicate differently also with their addicted partner. So they're starting to say, I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for loving you. I'm not going to apologize for, you know, marrying you or being with you or fighting for you. However, I realized how I've been doing that might not be working not only for you, but for me. Ah, wow. Are you saying that we don't make someone wrong? We make them right. Exactly. And we love on them and we support them. and We give them direction toward healing, which is pro-dependence. And then some of them over time start saying, well, you know, I haven't done it perfectly, but I did it from love. And so I don't hate myself. I don't blame myself. There's nothing wrong with me. I just didn't know any better. And now I know a better way to do it. And I'm still coming from love. Right. Either way. And then it invites the addicted partner to stop looking outward for reasons as to why I might be looking at the loved one to say, it's your fault or you're crazy or you upset me. Now I can, now the addict can really look in the mirror. Hey there. I sure hope you're enjoying this sex, love and addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, seeking integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com. That's seekingintegrity.com. Or call us at 747-234-4325. It's funny, Tim. I have to say, when I introduced code to pro-dependence and I had some addict, I did it in an audience once, you know, I was talking to a bunch of therapists and I had a guy come up to me who's an addict and he said, boy, you've killed the last bit of joy for us addicts with our partners. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, now I have to be fully responsible for my addiction. I can't say it's her nagging. I can't say it's her not coming home on time. I can't, you know, now I just have to take full responsibility. Thanks a lot. Codependency used to come to a break, you know, and I thought that was fabulous. And I can see that when we've introduced it to those getting treatment for addiction, I feel like those further along in recovery are really excited about this. They can see how this is going to help them take further responsibility for their behavior and for their spouse to really feel validated and understand that 
this was nothing. Well, think about this as an addict, right, Kim? If you tell me that my partner came only out of love and everything they did to try to heal me, whether it was nagging or yelling or leaving me, whatever they did was just because they loved me so much and they were so frustrated that they didn't know what to do. I think as an addict, I would feel like, wow, this person loved me that much and I've done that and I've, they've tried so hard to rescue me and save me. Wow, that's amazing. I appreciate them so much. But if you tell them, well, you know, your partner's really in their own illness. And when they're nagging you and complaining, that's really their own craziness. And you just have to distance yourself from that, or it might make you drink or use or sex again. Then you're kind of separating the couple instead of bringing them together. Right. Or you tell them it's because he or she had this history. So of course they were going to pick this. So that's kind of their, that's their responsibility. You know, that's their fault. So you're both playing out your inevitable issues with each other. Right. Right. And so when you take that barrier away, I really think it in, it increases the possibility for long-term, healthy, lasting behavior and recovery. And I think, and I agree with you, and I really want therapists to hear this, I think it increases the chance when you approach early addiction recovery like this, that a partner will come to you in six months and say, you know, now I'm beginning to wonder, I'm not exactly sure why I put up with all this or why I picked this guy or why I get this way. And that might be a time, and I've had it happen many times, when you don't bring it up yourself as a therapist, that the partner will come back and question some of what they did in the past. And then you say, well, would you like to explore some of your past? Is that something that interests you? That is a mutually agreed upon opening to help that person grow. But when they come to you in a crisis and their partner is drinking or using or sexing or gambling, and they don't know what to do, and they've tried everything, and that person's driving drunk with their kids... That is not the time to look at their pathology or give them a nasty name. And that's really all we're saying with prodependence is that we want to celebrate people who've loved a troubled person. And we want to celebrate whatever they've done to try to heal that person, even if it wasn't effective, because we know it came out of love and not illness. And that's the march that we're on. I'm there with you. And I feel like, too, there's a lot of um, partners who... Actually, I've seen over the years trump up trauma, trying to prove, oh, there's got to be a reason why I married this individual or I'm with this individual. And I think that's just not even ethical. I think, well, maybe you just love them. <laughs> right. Maybe you just love them and maybe you pick somebody who made bad choices. One of the things I wrote about in Prodependence was I, I just could not believe that every single man or woman who married an alcoholic, a, a compulsive gambler, a sex addict, or a, um, uh, a drug addict inherently had profound pathology of their own. Sometimes you just fall in love with someone and then they end up having a problem. And sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. So every time we look at a partner of an addict and say, well, what's wrong with you, dear? Well, maybe there's nothing wrong with them, except they're living with somebody who just ran off the rails. And then they're demonstrating issues, which probably have to do with the fact that they're in a crisis. So, um, yeah, I, I, I fully, and Kim, you're the one, you're the, you're the, you're the leader here because you work so much with partners and because you are bringing this work to partners, you know, I have the concept, but you're actually doing the work and it sounds like you're finding it to be fulfilling. Oh, for sure. Um, it's still in process. I mean, it's still being, we've got a lot of development to do. I am excited to get input from other clinicians and people who are also working with this population because I, I feel like it will just enhance what we're going to learn over time. And I think it's going to be a hard pill to swallow sometimes for clinicians, because I mean, if I were to be completely honest, I probably could have wrote a book about codependency 
you know, three years ago. The 440th book on codependency. Like right, right. 39 wasn't enough. <laughs> so I, I mean, for me, it wasn't a hard sell because my heart had, I, I had some <laughs> fundamental issues with some of, some of the concepts around codependency, but I feel like I want to move with the research and I want to move with, I think it's our responsibility, our obligation to do that as clinicians. And I, I think if therapists will really take a look at the different approach from with prodependency, I think they'll hopefully see the same thing I did. Well, we are a strength-based approach and that is always appealing to therapists. And we're a non-pathologizing approach, which is also always appealing to therapists. If you can work with someone and not end up having to see them as ill, if you can work with someone in a positive way, rather than pointing out the negatives, the therapy field in general really endorses that. And so if we can get uh, a partner of an addict to move, to grow, to heal without having to say there's something wrong with them, except that they are in a crisis, uh, our field really validates that. We don't seek to pathologize, we seek to de-pathologize. And so in that sense, I think we have a good run ahead of us of doing that work. But Kim, you know, I want to present a problem that you and I have had. Actually, a question. I want to have this conversation with you in front of the public because, you know, the challenge I think in this work is what do we do about Al-Anon and CODA? You know, you you like, I don't know if you have, but I spent many years going to Al-Anon and love the program. Understand I'm a double dipper. (laughs) Understand that there's so many lessons for me in not controlling others, not trying to manage others' lives, really just taking responsibility for me and understanding the difference. I don't know about coders. I never went, but Al-Anon was a blessing to me. What is the experience you're having with clients who, let's say, have already been to 12-step meetings as partners and in some ways, in some of those meetings, I think a legacy of the codependency model, not so much Al-Anon itself, they get convinced that, well, no, 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 you're getting it all wrong. You, 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 I don't know what therapist you're seeing, but honey, you're deeply sick. <laughs> you're married to an alcoholic. You're married to an addict, a sex addict. You're deeply sick. And so they get to a meeting. You've pumped them up with self-esteem and, and you've supported them and given them hope and redirected them. And then they go to a meeting and they say, oh, no, 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 there's really something wrong with you. How, how are we going to get around that one, Kim? I think this is going to be, uh, I think this is going to take some time and it's going to take, I, I know that the, the clients that I've worked with have asked me those same questions. What do I say to my sponsor? What do I say to my group? And my suggestion for them has been ask your sponsor to meet you where you are. And if he or she can't do that, you may need to make adjustments there and to say to them, I am totally on board learning healthy boundaries and healthy support, what that looks like, and to hold myself accountable for my own struggles or issues. But I I have a different paradigm about why I do what I do. And if they can't meet you there, you may have to find someone who can. And there's nothing in Al-Anon that says that uh, partners inherently are going to have this problem that's going to make somebody drink or lead to someone drinking or escalate someone's drinking. Or That's not really inherent in Al-Anon literature. That's something that's come about through I think our years in codependency and the thought, the idea that our partners are responsible in some way. Right. That's how all those other, a lot of my partners attend COSA and CODAs and those kind of things. And it's kind of evolved that way over time. But I, I guess my hope, maybe it's my little, my own little dream is that there will be groups that will adapt to that and to the concepts of prodependence and subscribe to that. Here's the challenge, and, and I, I don't think I've, I could say clearer the difference in codependency and prodependency than this. Codependence says that as a partner of an addict, I am addicted to my addict. 
that I have an addiction and my addiction is I'm watching him or her all the time. I'm thinking about him or her all the time. I'm worried about him or all the time. And they are the sole focus of my life, not me. And that's my illness. And pro-dependence says, look, somebody in your life is messing up. They're falling apart. They're disappearing. And you're obsessed with trying to help them, fix them, make it better for them. That's what we do when someone loves when you love someone who's troubled, you try to help them. And if they're, you're deeply involved with them, you do everything you can to help them. And if that affects your life negatively, that's what happens when you're trying to help a troubled person who isn't getting better. But we don't say in prodependence that you're addicted to your spouse. We say that you might be obsessed with their problem, but who wouldn't be as it's their problem that's driving your relationship and your family down the drain? Well, that to me, that wouldn't be human. That wouldn't be a, a natural human response to somebody leaving a relationship in one form or another or you know grasping to something outside of the relationship for pleasure and so i don't think that's a natural human reaction to not feel obsessed or worried so there is room i think in Elanon for sure to say yeah i've been completely obsessed with my partner's addiction and their problem and because i have been so trying to make it better and i haven't been able to and now i just need to really focus on me and do the right things to try to help them that i'm instructed to do and then step back and really focus on me which is a lot of the focus of codependency is in other words and i want to say this the outcome of codependence the goal of codependency treatment which is better self-care better boundaries, healthy detachment. You know, these are things that actually our goals also are pro-dependence. It's not that we don't think the partners need help or that they need help with some detachment. It's that we think that to blame them or to see them as sick or a part of the problem or contributing to the problem in a systemic way is unfair and judgmental of them. Right. And I, I feel like the, also the pro-dependence, what we want and, and what we tell some of our partners in early, early, early with the pro-dependence model recovery is we don't want you to totally detach in every way from your partner unless there's a serious safety concern or something, but we want you to hold on to the parts of your relationship that are working. What brought you together? Is it a friendship? Is it commitments? Is it children? Let's not sever all those ties. Let's only work on the ones that are injured or broken while simultaneously trying to hold on to those things that you do love about your partner. We don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. And it kind of gives them permission. You mean I can still love my partner? I don't have to tell him or her to get lost. I'm gonna solely do me, I can do that. And that you're not gonna call me sick. <laughs> it's the question I get. It's interesting, Kim, you, you say that because I think that we are so far along the codependency model, uh, what, 35 years, that a partner of an addict expects to come in and be sort of slapped down they expect to be pathologized and blamed and they see themselves doing crazy things and they think, and the word codependency is so, you know, so uh, liberally applied. Oh, I'm, they're already thinking I must be codependent. I must be, I mean, I actually, I should ask that as a question. How many partners come into you in general and say, I think there must be something wrong with me that I got in this relationship or that I'm trying to heal this. I mean, how many of them have already bought into that? I would say the vast majority that I've ran into. Yes. They want to know how, do, what do I need to fix about me? So why would they fight the codependency model if they already think there's something wrong with them? It still hurts. It still hurts. They're looking for answers. I think they're, they're just looking for answers. Help, help take this, this weight off my chest. Help me learn to breathe again. And if that means I'm sick, fine. But deep down, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't sit well because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't meet their experience. I mean, you can describe all the crazy behavior they did. Oh, you checked all of his bottles. Oh, you 
had a detective, oh, you, you know, it, you can describe the behavior and the, the behavior can look very crazy. And if you assume it comes out of crazy, then it looks crazy, comes out of crazy. And they feel a little crazy. <laughs> you know, they come in feeling a little nuts. Yes. Yeah, but that's because the person they love is falling apart and right. ruining their life and ruining their shared life. And they don't know how to, they can't make it better. Find another human being who experiences that, that doesn't feel crazy. That doesn't feel. Find another partner of an addict. Correct. Who also doesn't feel crazy and talk to them about it. Right. And they're going to have this shared experience. Folks, I just want to say how grateful I am to Kim Buck, and thank you for joining us for the show, and thank you for taking this model on and beginning to evolve it. Um, folks, I think those of you who are therapists, you'll be seeing Kim and I out there talking about this, lecturing, you know, we're going to make a workbook out of this. And I think what we're involved in is a long overdue correction to a model that went too far and that we are now pulling back on and saying, uh, let's find a new and kinder way to treat partners of addicts. They've had a hard enough time already, and we can fix them without making them feel worse. We can actually make them feel better. And Kim, thank you for being a part of this. You're welcome. And Rob, thank you, I want to say as well, for putting into words what a lot of us have probably been feeling over the years and something we can jump off of. And, and I'm really excited about the future of recovery for partners. Well, it's really interesting. I want to say something to you about that. You know, people ask me like, well, have a lot of people gone after you? Have the codependency people gotten angry at you? Have you gotten all these nasty notes? I have been talking about this now for five months. And the only email I've gotten, the only responses I've gotten is basically what you just said, which is uh, I'm mad at you. Therapists will say to me, because you wrote down these things I've been thinking about for years. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't say how could you they don't say how could you ruin this model that we thought was so precious i think that that actually has been gone for a long time i'm just stating the obvious so where can the folks listening find you if they want to drop a note or ask a question or do you have a a, a place you work or an email address you want to feature Certainly. Um, I work at Family Strategies, like you mentioned, Counseling Center. I'm in Mesa, Arizona. Um, probably the easiest way is to send me, drop me an email, and that would be kbuck, first initial, last name, kbuck at familystrategies.org. Um, I'm the clinical director there, and that's just my email I check most often. So. And I will say, if you're a therapist and you're listening, we are, um, we've got a, a fairly good-sized group of people who are training with and learning Kim with Kim about how to do this work. And um, we're putting a little group together every month for therapists who want to just begin to practice this work as opposed to codependency. And I think Kim's going to have quite a big job ahead of her. So anyway, love working with you, Kim. Thank you for being so articulate. And no, I did not pay you for this message. <laughs> <laughs> you did not. And I appreciate the opportunity. Okay, folks, we'll look forward to the next podcast and helping you one day at a time. Thanks for being here. Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our Treatment Center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.